Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, And they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. morning. Merry Christmas. Feels really special to uh, to be with you all this morning. Uh, just feels like uh, being with family on Christmas morning. Um, my name is is Camden. If you're new here and we haven't met, um, I hope that you just feel like family here this morning as well. Um, I uh, haven't opened any gifts yet this morning, so I'm not going to be super long here. And there's uh, there probably some of you here that a little bit younger than me that have either already opened some gifts that are going to be more exciting than mine, or you're uh, waiting to do that. So um, we won't be super long this morning, but um, we want to take a few minutes here to, to look at another um, gift, the greatest gift that's ever been given. You know, it's kind of hard giving gifts as adults, right? Especially if it's someone that you're not in the rhythm of giving gifts to with um, with Carrie's uh, brothers and sisters, we you know pick names and give gifts to each other, and we have a, a price set limit, right? And it kind of seems silly, but at the same time, then it's kind of equitable, you know, and everyone knows kind of the range of gifts to give. But when it's someone that you don't usually give gifts to, you're not quite sure if the thing that you're getting them is going to cost the same amount as the thing that they're getting you, right? And you don't want to be significantly outgifted by the other person, right? Then you've got to wait a whole other year to catch up and give them another gift. But a couple thousand years ago, little town of Bethlehem, humanity, the creation, was hopelessly and completely 
outgifted by God, the Creator. What is this gift that was given to us by God? Well, we're going to look at that this morning, and we're going to see three truths from Matthew chapter 2 about this gift that has been given and the response that we can have to getting outgifted by God. So let's go to God in prayer, ask for Him to meet with us this morning, and then we will dive in. Uh, Lord, we come before you this morning. We're just so humbled by this gift that you have given us, Lord. We thank you for it. We thank you for who you are, and we pray that you would meet with us this morning and that we would just see this gift in, in a whole new light and that we would worship and praise you because of it, Lord, and that you would change us in the ways that you want us to be changed. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. One of the most commonly known verses in the Bible, right, is John 3.16. And part of the reason for that is there's so much good news packed into this verse for us as humanity. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Here we see the beginnings of this. There's a gift that's been given. God loves us and he's giving us a way that we don't have to perish. All of the guilt that we have, all of the things that we've done that we know that are wrong, we can have that removed, and we can have eternal life. Another verse in Romans, uh, Romans 6.23, says, for the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this gift that God has given us is eternal life, but it kind of comes down to the definition. I think a lot of people would think of this gift of eternal life as you get to live this life on earth the best you can, and then when you die, you, you get to go to a, a retirement community up in the sky and, and join the heavenly choir. But that's not what the definition of eternal life is. That's not the definition of this gift that God has given us. Jesus, in his prayer to the Father in the book of John, he gives us the definition of eternal life, and he says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This gift, not just from God, but this gift of God, is that we can know him. We can enjoy him. We can experience him. We can fellowship directly with God, not just when we die someday, but today, right now, and forever to come. How can we respond to the gift of God that He has given to us? Well, we're going to look at, at three truths from Matthew chapter 2 that will help us kind of understand and respond to this. And this story, uh, you know, this, every year I read through the Christmas story, and this year, for some reason, the story of the wise men just really struck me as I dove into it a little bit deeper and thought about it. You know, the, the whole Christmas story, it, it kind of makes sense to us in our minds because we've heard it from the time that we were a child, right? We were probably in a pageant and wore our dad's bathrobe to be a shepherd at some point. And it's, it's just familiar. It's, it's there right in the back of our mind from our earliest memories. But when you think about these wise men in a distant country, and what they did, God showing them, even just the imagery of those that were far off, God brought through Jesus to himself. But there's so many things about this story that when you really think about it, it's pretty fascinating. 
And the first truth about this gift of God that we see in Matthew chapter 2 is that this gift of God is accessible. We don't have this verse up there, but in, in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1, it says that long ago, in many ways, God spoke to his people, the, our fathers, through the prophets. But now, in the later times, he has spoken to us through his Son. But in between those two verses, speaking through the prophets and speaking to us through his Son, there's hundreds of years of silence where God wasn't speaking through the prophets. If we could go to someone in Israel around the time of Christ's birth and ask them, tell me about your God, they, would, they could give you a, a history lesson about God and point out some attributes of God that were very evident to them, that, that God is powerful. God spoke the whole universe into existence. God brought them out of Egypt, brought them into a land that was occupied, drove everyone out and established them as a nation. But God is also holy, and he gave them commandments to follow, and they would follow them for a while, and then they would drift away from them, and he would, he would judge them, he'd bring another country in to occupy them, and then he would send prophets, and the prophets would point out their sin and would show them a path of repentance so that they could be in favor with God again. And they would repent from their sins, and God would deliver them. And this story just played out over and over and over throughout the whole, New Test- the whole Old Testament, rather. And then the prophets just stopped. Rome came in and occupied Israel, and there was no prophets coming and giving an exit plan so that they could be delivered. It was just generation after generation of silence. And if you would have asked someone in Israel at that time, how, how do you, what is your relationship like with God? They'd say, God is, is here, he's in the temple, but he just feels so distant and silent to us. And it was in that reality that these wise men saw this new star appear in the sky, the evidence that something was about to change. Now, if God wanted to get my attention, a star in the sky probably wouldn't be the, the greatest way to do it, right? I live out in Milton, and there's not as much light pollution, and can see the stars, but especially this time of year, it's pretty cold, right? And I have electricity and Netflix inside, so I'll look up there for a little bit and then head right inside. But they didn't have electricity and Netflix back then, so they spent a lot of time looking up at the sky. You ever seen any of those you know, ancient constellations where they have three stars, and I would look at it and be like, oh, look, a triangle. They said, no, it's a whole bear that, you know, out of these three stars, because they spent a lot of time looking up at those stars. And they see this new star appear in the sky, and not just, they didn't just document it and say, hey, I, I saw it first, I get to name it. No, God revealed to them what the meaning of this star was, that there a newborn king was being born, and that God would be accessible to man in a way that he had never been before. And so, based just off of that, they couldn't go on Google Maps and see, like, it's kind of over there. What is over there? We've never been over there before. Is there, uh, you know, what good coffee shops are there west of us? They couldn't do any of that. Just based on seeing this star and a revelation from God, they packed everything up and headed out because it meant that God would be accessible. Ever since this gift of God is, it's my son, so I'll, uh, I'll wait a second. Um, 
ever since this gift of God has been given, Satan has tried to put himself between humanity and God and say, no, 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 this gift of God is not accessible to you the way you are. You need to clean up your act first. You need to go to AA. You need to fix your marriage. You need to get over that addiction. And then maybe when you've straightened things out, then maybe you'll earn the right to have access to God. But the scripture totally refutes this claim. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, in verses 8 and 9, For what grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It doesn't matter where you are today, what you've done. You can have access directly to God because of this gift of God that has been given to us. And even once we're saved, Satan just continues to perpetuate this lie to us. Have you ever had one of those weeks where everything seems to be going wrong and unexpected financial hardship comes and there's complications at work, family things start to boil up, and a couple days go by and you realize you haven't had any quiet time with God in the last few days, and that, the guilt of that sorrow starts to set in, and day after day that guilt just starts to compound and compound. And every time you have that thought that, man, I, I really got to get back to God in prayer, really have to get back into his word, Satan tries to stop you and say, no, you, you're not going to come to God like that. He doesn't want to see you, though, in the mess that you've created. You need to clean that up first, and then maybe you can come back to God. But Scripture refutes this claim as well. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Have you ever seen that picture of uh, John F. Kennedy when he was president sitting in the Oval Office at his desk and his kids are playing on, under the desk at his feet? The, the thought that if you have a bad day at school and your betta fish died, you can run directly into the Oval Office and talk to the leader of the free world about it because he's your father. Well, we have something that is so much greater than that, and it is accessible to us because of this gift of God. When the wise men saw that this gift was accessible, they took off to the place where they would be able to access God. So not only was this gift accessible, but this gift of God is valuable. You think a, a little bit more into the story about these wise men, and based on very little information, except for this, this new star in the sky, this revelation from God, this seems really big and important. They take off on this journey, and, and it seems from the text that at some point they kind of lose sight of the star, but they're around Israel, which kind of makes sense, right? This is going to be the king of the Jews. Makes sense. He would be in Israel. Uh, and it makes sense that he'd be in Jerusalem, right? It's the capital. That's where the palace is. So when they get to Israel, they, they go to Jerusalem, and maybe they're expecting to see signs, welcome the newborn king. But there's no signs. And they start to ask around, like, hey, we're from a long ways away. We heard about this. Where is the newborn king? 
and no one seems to know what they're talking about. His own people don't know that he's there. And that's not, that to me, that would sort of be a red flag number one. And then they, they hear from the king, is there a newborn king somewhere in this country? And he says, yeah, you've got to go to uh, Bethlehem. Yeah, that's where he's at. Bethlehem is very well known to us because of the Christmas story. Bethlehem was not a big, huge, important metropolis in Israel. Um, like I said, I live in Milton, and I kind of think of Bethlehem as Milton, right? <laughs> you know, people don't come to Vermont to go to Milton, right? They, they come to go skiing or, you know, go to Burlington, not to go to Milton. Most people come and leave, and they don't even realize that was there. So if someone, a delegate was going to come from another country, and they said, yeah, I think what you're looking for is in Milton, that would be red flag number two. <laughs> so they, they, they get there to Bethlehem, and they come to um, at an Airbnb, essentially, that they're staying in for a while, and what they find is not a, a royal family or a wealthy family, anyone that has any political connections. They find a young, poor, working-class couple holding this, this baby. It seems like that would be a little bit of a letdown if you came that far. And if they had aspirations that maybe they'd enter a trade agreement with this newborn king, or maybe they would get some sage words of wisdom from this royal family, or, or maybe they would sign a peace treaty or, or, or something like that, if they had expected to get anything in return, they probably... <laughs> sorry, um, God has really been just hammering this point home with me, so I'm not going to get through it without crying, so I'll just get it out there and work through it, okay? Um, if they were expecting anything in return, they would have been disappointed, but we see their response when they see the newborn king. They fall down and worship, and they freely give their treasures to God. It's so easy to, to come to God and to value him based on what he can do for us. And when we do that, God's value ebb and f ebbs and flows in the perceived blessings that we are receiving from him at the time. And that is not what these wise men did. They saw the value, the worth of Christ. And without asking for anything in return, they just fell down and worshiped. Okay. John Piper, uh, in his book, God is the Gospel, says it this way. The aim of the gospel is not merely to give us God's gifts, but to give us God. All his gifts are good. <clears throat> but in and through them all, the aim is to see more of God's glory and to savor more of his infinitely beautiful moral perfections displayed in the gospel. Have you ever seen the, uh, the Antiques Roadshow? Whenever I'm flipping through channels in a, in a hotel, I, it always just captivates me. Um, if you haven't seen it, the premise of the show is pretty simple. People take old things from around their house, and they bring it in, uh, and these antique experts, they look at it, and they say, you know, 
yeah, this is something that's valuable or it's not. Um, they'll tell them, you know, this is the background, this is where it came from, uh, this is who made it, this is how old it is. Um, and the ones that, that really, uh, really get me is when someone comes in and they bring in like a family heirloom, maybe like a vase or a painting, and they say, yeah, you know, this has been in the family for generations, and I was going to pass it on to the kids, and they don't really want it. So I want to know, like, is this even something that is worth hanging on to? And uh, the antique appraiser will say, yes, actually, this is very old. It's in really good condition. It was made by a master artist, and it's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. And you see this realization of the value hit the person who's had it sitting in their basement all of these years, right? They probably brought it in that day in an old shopping bag or something, and they're going to go home carrying this thing out to the car and, and driving carefully. And the funny thing is, the value of the item never changed. It had been worth that the whole time, but the realization of the value completely changes for the person who possesses it. If our service to God, our giving, is starting to feel dry and forced and inconvenient, we need to have a new perspective of the worth of this newborn king and appreciate the value, not just of what he gives us, but who he is. So not only was this gift of God uh, accessible and it was valuable, uh, this gift requires faith. And I, I hesitated to use that word because as I was thinking about faith, I feel like we so often have a, a diversified faith, um, kind of like our retirement account, right? We have a bunch of money in stocks, but, you know, stocks are, go up and down and we don't really understand them. So we have, you know, bonds and money markets and other things that we don't understand either. Maybe you do, but I don't. Because we, if one of them starts to go bad, at least we can fall back on the other ones. And we sort of do that with faith, too, don't we? Say, yes, I have faith in God, but, you know, in case things with God don't quite go the direction I want, I have some other things to kind of fall back on. I have some other plans going on as well. But that's not the kind of faith that we're talking about here. We're talking about a faith that would do a, a trust fall off of the Empire State Building a faith that acknowledges that this gift of God is, is not just a good man or a teacher that's going to die on the cross for our sins and, and give us a home in heaven, but this gift of God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he invites us to abdicate the throne of our lives and to completely trust him no matter what his plans are for us. There's another character in this story, uh, King Herod. And when the wise men come to Jerusalem and they start asking, where's the, where's the new king? That's pretty disconcerting to him because he's the current king and there can only be one at a time. So he thinks long and hard about this news. And he even he does some research, he gets some advice on what, what are they talking about with this new king. And it, it appears at the point where he sends them off to Bethlehem like, he hasn't even quite really made up his mind about what he's going to do. He's troubled about it. He's thinking. But he's also a politician. And maybe he, he thinks there's some way, if he can wrap his mind around it, if he can see this newborn king and get all the facts, then maybe he can figure out a way to 
keep power himself, but manipulate the situation somehow to his advantage. And he tells the, the wise men, go, go to Bethlehem, find him, let me know where he is, because I want to come worship him too. He didn't have this, he, I don't think that that was sincere, but at the same time, he's kind of positioning himself to uh, come out of this in a way that he hasn't quite decided yet. But as we'll see in a minute, the wise men don't come back to Herod. They take off to their own country. And his plan goes out the window, and all of a sudden he's faced with this decision. What do I do with the, this fact that there's this newborn king that's been born? And instead of reacting in a good way, when he loses control of the situation, he lashes out in fear and, and anger and pride, and he tries to destroy this newborn king. Tim Keller, in his book, Hidden Christmas, uh, says this. He says, where's the true king? That question is the most disturbing question possible to the human heart, since we all want at all costs to remain on the throne of our own lives. We may use religion to stay on that throne, trying to put God in a position of having to do our bidding because we are so righteous that rather than serving him unconditionally, or we may flee religion, become atheists and loudly claim that there is no God. Either way, we are expressing our natural hostility to the lordship of the true king. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your savior, the Christmas story is not just a, a story of, uh, of goodwill a couple months out of the year, put a little more money uh, you know, in, the, um, in the Salvation Army uh, gift box. No, it's far more than that. Jesus came to this earth to save us of our sins, but in order to do that, we must completely put our faith and trust in Him. It's not a diversified faith. It is all or nothing. We either reject the lordship of this king or we accept it completely. The wise men also had a moment of decision. You know, we read this part of the story where uh, they, they have a, a dream from God that uh, they shouldn't go back to Herod and that they should go to their country a different way. And that seems fairly simple, right? They, they put a different coordinate in their GPS, they jump in their SUVs, and they just shoot right out of the country at night and they're gone. But that's, that's not the reality of this, is it? This was a Roman king. They were in his country. Rome actually controlled a good part of the world at that time. And they're going to completely defy the order of this king and on their slow caravan, try to make it out of the country before he can catch up with them. Would they really risk that for this newborn that they just saw? This was a moment of decision for them. Was this just a, a great journey, a, a journey of enlightenment, or are they really willing to risk it all for this newborn king? The wise men responded well. They responded in faith to God, and they charted a new course for their life. Maybe we're here this morning, and, and we have accepted Christ as our Savior, but we find ourselves at this point where God is calling us to maybe step out of our comfort zone, a comfort zone that is really made up of blessings from God, right? But at the same time, we just have such a hard time trusting that the next thing that he's leading us to is going to be for our good, just like the place that we're at now. What are we going to do 
with its newborn king, how are we going to respond to this gift of God? I hope and pray today that we will see that God is accessible and that we will run to him, that this gift of God is valuable and that we will respond with sincere sacrificial worship and that we will see that this gift of God requires faith and that we will respond by saying, God, anywhere, anything, no matter the cost, the answer is yes. How will we respond to this gift of God? Let me pray for us that we will respond well. Heavenly Father, we we thank you so much that, that you came all those years ago and that the gift that you offer is just as accessible to us today. Lord, we thank you for, for who you are. Lord, that you are, you don't just give us good gifts, but that you are good and that you are deserving of all of our worship and adoration. And Lord, we pray that you would give us the faith to respond to this gift that you have given us in the way that you would have us do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.